Hola, pod peeps across the digital domain. It's the Deacon's Pod, where spirituality and justice meet real American life in the 21st century. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulist affiliate Deacons, Deacon Tom and Deacon Drew. Today we're talking with the ladies from In the Company of Charity podcast. We have with us today as our guests Sister Liz Schoberg and Sister Elizabeth Grime, both daughters of charity, who are on the podcast. And we welcome them. Welcome, sisters. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we all enjoy your podcast, and one of the things we want to do on our podcast is when we come across good podcasts to let our listeners know where they can look. So the name of your podcast is in the company of charity, correct? That's right. It's actually a little, this is Sister Liz, by the way, I'll just say that when, you know, when we're talking that we actually call ourselves a nickname for the Daughters of Charity is the company. So when, you know, kind of internally refer to ourselves, we often say, you know, we, that we're the company. And so it's uh, to have our podcast be in the company of charity, it, it kind of evokes a little bit of a, a grander picture because it's not just about us, but about the, the charism um, of spirituality and prayer and service, all of those things that really, it's about being Catholic and it's about serving others and, and about who we are and do as well. So we thought that was a good name. It, it took a little crowdsourcing and a little committee <laughs> wrestling, but we got there. Very good. Yes, and you are both Daughters of Charity, which is your branch of the Vincentian family, which is quite wide and includes various orders of men, of women, lay people. So it's quite a large organization doing the works of mercy around the world. And so would you just tell us a little bit about what it is you do for your ministry besides podcasting? Well, this is Sister Elizabeth, so I'll start. I joined the community 25 years ago. I came as a little bit of a late vocation at the age of 36. And I was a high school English teacher and religion teacher before I came. Since I've come to the Daughters of Charity, I've not taught one day of high school or religion. I've been working in homeless programs. I helped to develop some programs in Macon, Georgia, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, and then just came from Utica, New York, where I was working with refugee resettlement. I have just been missioned to St. Louis, Missouri, where our provincial house is, and I am now the assistant seminary directress. We use the word seminary instead of novitiate, and we could probably talk a little bit about St. Vincent's and St. Louis de Marriac, our founders, and their vision for what our community would look like. So that just gives you a little sense of what happens when you become a daughter of charity you may not exactly be who you thought you were, but that the community will help you to become who you're supposed to be in God's wisdom and design. And I'm pretty sure that as a former 25-year-long high school religion teacher myself, that uh, all those other things are even easier than teaching high school kids religion. So, Yes, I'm, I agree. Except, of course, if you're going to teach 7th and 8th grade. That is, yeah. That's even harder, but yes. you're right. Junior high is the worst. a room full of homeless people. Yeah, yeah. no, I know. I'm really, really happy. Yeah. Any day. He especially yeah. loves the, I went the to prison. smelly ones, the ones that are dirty, <laughs> the ones, yeah. 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 The worst yeah. ones she loves. Well, I went to prison after my high school teaching experience, which prepared me very well for the Arrested Development I found <laughs> there. So I, you know, we all know how this is. <laughs> That's right. Sister Liz, tell us about what it is you do for an honest living when you're not podcasting? When I'm not podcasting, I am currently the director of administration for a nonprofit agency called Reacto Juan Diego. I'm a social worker by trade, and my love is to just be with people and listen to them. And I always said that I could never be a nurse or anything in healthcare because I didn't want to deal with people's bodies. But for people, um, I actually studied biology, and I was a youth minister for a while and campus minister. Once I joined the community, I was in campus ministry for three years and then studied social work. So just like Sister Elizabeth, you know, the trajectory and God's plan isn't always what we imagine when we're young, but it's been a wonderful ride 
an invitation to trust God more and more every day. And especially when we're working on the border with the population that we do, we certainly need and rely on the ever. So it, it's a gift to be where I am. It It is hot down here at this moment in history, but it is a great place to be. And I love the culture, the language, and the people. And wh- where is that again you're at? Brownsville, Texas. Oh, Brownsville. Okay, so you're right across the mm-hmm. Gulf from me and Tom. Yes, we well, are. Next time we go to the beach, it's, we'll wave to you. Yes, <laughs> just real far across the across the Gulf. Yeah, neighbors. Um, we love the beach. The beach is beautiful, and it's most beautiful in the winter in about January. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, right. So would you tell us a little bit about the Daughters of Charity? Now, I know that I find this fascinating, and it, it makes me appreciate what a what a clever guy Vincent was to get around all the strictures about women working in ministry at the time that he had to do it. But you guys are actually a society of apostolic life, just like the Paulist fathers. That's right. I was just going to say, you get an A for that Religion one. teacher. Okay. Religion teacher. I've been honing my shovel a long time, you know? I mean, <laughs> useless information. This is the only place I can use it. Everybody else is yeah. like, well, who cares? Shut up. What do you want to know about this? But so Society of Apostolic Life and, get get this, Tom, they take yearly temporary promises. Right? Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, yeah. that's on very yeah. unusual. Oh, the way of the future. Yes, I think it is too, but that's yeah. very unusual. And this is back in 16, what, sister? I was going to say 400 years ago, right? Yeah, 1642 was the first year the sisters made their vows. And they're not perpetual. They're never perpetual. We don't ever take them for every week. They're in our constitutions, they're referred to as annual and always renewable. Um, but of course, there are other distinctions around that. But every Feast of the Annunciation, we literally retake, not just renew or not just, it's not an anniversary. We're actually retaking them again, and we do have the capacity to not take them for a year if we choose, but, you know, you don't really want to do that. You want to take them every year. So we renew our vows as though we're renewing them for the rest of our lives. So they are, for us, the way our life will be, but they are annual vows, and that does make us distinct in that sense, yeah. So you could, you could a sister could say, you know, it's been fun for 10 years, but I'm not, I, I don't think this is for me. and no harm, no foul. She can just withdraw, right? Yeah, there are obviously going to be some technical ways in which that has to be done within the community. You don't just walk out. But there are ways that a sister can say at that time that she doesn't feel that she wants to continue. And she can live for one year outside of vows, which means she decides to made them. And then after that year, she either has to remake her vows, redo them, or she'll, or she'll leave. And, and we have also had sisters who have left for years and then found that, you know, now was a time for them to come back. There were life situations that brought them to that decision. Life decisions made, had them come back. And so their vows are then always renewable, which means if both the community and the sister agree, they can come back. But, and you know, what's interesting about that is you guys must be really all in. Like anytime you run into someone with DC after their name, there's no one sitting there saying, well, I kind of got to be here. You know, I made this decision, you know, like in marriage, like, well, I'm stuck with this bozo, right, Tom? Our wives, you know, it's like, so I got to play this out. But, you know, they have the... For the record, let me indicate that he meant that we're the bozos, <laughs> not our wives. I'm pretty sure that's... Good, that's what the wife call. would say, right? Good. That's <laughs> clear to our listeners. Our regular listeners would, would get that. But thank you, Drew. Yes. Close that loophole. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that's really interesting approach and i think it solves so many problems and you know when i when i first read about this i was thinking you know it kind of the attitude in that i'm not saying vincent had this this attitude but it comes out to the same thing i think you know is the buddhists do this like you can like a like a, a young person can become a buddhist monk for a year or two and then say okay i'm getting married and raising a family and they say cool and what have you got? You got someone who really knows how to be a Buddhist out there in the community. I mean, it's not the formation isn't wasted and no one is being cramped into something that no longer fits. And and I just think that uh, this approach that Daughters of Charity have is really fascinating. And, and I will mention that we do take them very seriously. The, the fact that we make vows every year is not a, an out, so to speak, or 
doesn't mean that, that they're not important. But each of us, when we say yes again, it's actually a challenge to deepen our commitment and our fidelity. And we have this time where we humbly ask of our superior. And so for sister, you know, out on mission, she asks to her sister servant, we don't, we don't use the term <laughs> superior, um, and we can get more to that. Sister Elizabeth is much better at explaining it than I, but, you know, we humbly ask to make that again. And then our, our superior as general, who's like, the, I call her the big girl, the big girl in Paris actually asked St. Vincent's successor, so our superior general, she asked permission on behalf of the community. And so it's a time for, for us to say, yes, I, I want to, to make vows again. And then, you know, as we get closer and we have our, you know, retreat day before uh, making our vows, it's really a, an opportunity to almost like an examination of conscience of saying, you know, where am I this year? What's changed? And, and like, do I love Jesus as much as I, I did last year? Or am I as faithful as I was? And, and what do I need to do to get there? Because for us, it's not just about our personal holiness. It's about the service of the poor and God's people. And so, you know, it, it literally, the future of, of the world, in a sense, depends on our yes, because what we do really matters. And, and there's people out there who need to be served in the way that I can, you know, there's, there's that personal call that each one of us has for the sake of the world and, and God's people, especially those who are struggling. It seems to me that that's a deeper form of commitment in a way. Because you have to go through this scrutiny. Mm-hmm. You do it once, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you lose the luster. But the fact that you're dealing with these people in crisis situations brings you to that whole relationship, really, as I think Vincenzi is very much a relationship with God to the relationship of the people you serve and finding them. And, uh, and I think that really brings about more enthusiasm to go back into the ring tomorrow after you do this on your anniversary and you made that commitment and you have that retreat, you're ready to go back in because I've had some experience working with disenfranchised folks and they can wear you down. So that constant renewal, annual renewal, kind of, the language fails when we talk about annual renewal because it does seem to be a matter of fact, but uh, you, you bring it to a new level. Yeah, and, and Deacon Dennis, I appreciate you saying, I hadn't really thought about the idea that when, when you're working with and you see a daughter of charity, or even among ourselves, that someone who's still in is in it, you know, that we've made that commitment again, and we know it. And so the other is, I think, as Sister Liz was saying, the process of asking permission comes out of a very prayerful process. And it takes from November till March for us to make that request from our sister servant who brings it to the next level. So it also creates a a very strong bond within the community itself, because we all know all 16,000 of us around the world know that every single daughter of charity is praying about and remaking that commitment and that the ultimate decision is really for that sister to say, yes, I want to do this again. And then also it helps us to continue to keep that relationship with the Vincentia de Mariac. Our two founders had a really close relationship and it was important to both of them to be together so that the community could do, as you said, Deacon Dennis in the beginning, create something very, very different, something that was not common or really out there. I know the, the Beguines, you know, had, they were women living outside of the cloister, but we became like the first group of women who were never cloistered and technically not religious, as you said, we're a society of apostolic life, but we're living consecrated lives with the approbation of the church, right? So this was very, very unique. And sometimes those annual vows allowed people who got into something we weren't quite sure of. And Vincent and Louise both knew this was going to be hard, hard work for these young women who came in the beginning of the company in the 1600s. Really, I think it's pretty crazy, remarkable stuff. This is Holy Spirit stuff, I would say. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's, that, that's just my take. It's like, yeah. this is 400 years ahead of, even what, you know, I don't know if you could get this through now so much. You know, I mean, if it hadn't been done 400 years ago and, and, and someone came up and said, you know, I got this idea and, and annual promises and society of apostolic life and for women and this and that, you know, I don't know. 
I don't know how how much pushback you'd get on it. So I really think it's the Holy Spirit, and uh, I think it's great. Sister Elizabeth, can you just say a quick word about the seminary you referenced and how that fits in, since this is what kind of what we're talking around? Sure. So the seminary to a daughter of charity is, is equal to the novitiate of other consecrated women in religious communities. It's about 18 months, so we do one canonical year. We do a 12-month, as most religious would, but we don't do a full two-year as religious would, preparing to make their perpetual vows. So when someone enters the seminary, she is a daughter of charity, and she's beginning her formation as a daughter uh, at that time. She's probably lived with us for about two years, at least in the United States, this is the process. She's lived with us as a pre-postulant, a postulant, and then both she and the community agree and choose to uh, enter the seminary. So I'm technically like an assistant novice directoress. That's what in religious terms would be. St. Vincent de Paul felt very strongly, as did Louise de Marriac, that we shouldn't use any terms that would give any sense of us being religious. So they, we actually have what's called the charter. I can never remember the whole thing, but he said things like the, our chapel would be the parish church, right? Our cell would be a rented room. The enclosure of a monastic or cloistered community for us would be obedience, you know? So all of those places, all of those definitions, they both changed and gave them terms that were more, right now I would say they're more like neighborhood-like. We go to the parish church. We support the parish community. We don't live in our own separate cloistered place. We see our houses as rented rooms. You know, in 1623, Louise de Marriac had a, a Pentecost experience. She wanted to join a religious community. She was married and had a child at the time, but she knew she distrusted. And God said, don't, don't worry yourself, Louise. There will be a time when you will be able to make vows with a group of women who want to do charity, as you do. And she says to, in this reflection, I didn't quite understand because there would be many comings and goings. And for us, that's the definition of our apostolic life. It's also the beginning of this different way in which religious life was going to be lived out. Uh, and so all of that feeds into and comes down to a woman coming into the seminary, choosing to be a daughter of charity, knows that she's living a, out a legacy that, as you say, is almost 400 years old. Uh, and while there are many apostolic sisters now, it's fairly common, more probably more common, to be part of that original charism, the original spirit, as you say, the the Holy Spirit's injection of this something different into the church is really quite powerful. Yeah, abs absolutely. And uh, it, it really is original. It's really quite interesting. Could you, you know, let's talk a little bit about your podcast, which is one of the main reasons you're here. And I'll tell you, the reason you're, you're here for your podcast is two reasons. One is you have really good, interesting, solid content about how you uh, work with marginal people and, and reach out to them and the poor and all the various ways and things you do. And you bring different members of the community on and you talk about these issues. But the other reason you're here even more is because you guys laugh a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have a good time. So, you know, we want to hang with you guys because us Paulist types know that that laughter is in a, a, a fail-safe sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, that is the joy is the sign of the Holy Spirit. And you guys have a good time. And uh, it's also interesting as you're talking about dealing with some of the most tragic and difficult things, I think our listeners would be quite amazed at the juxtaposition that you still find joy in what is very difficult work. And so tell us about your podcast. Tell us why you started it, who started it, what, what you're trying to do, who your audience is. I mean. Get, sell it to our listeners so maybe they'll they'll tune in because yeah, i think no. it's I, well worthwhile <laughs> in the company of charity podcasts <laughs> we're on spotify we're on apple podcasts we're on pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts but i think this idea really really came organically of how can we reach out to people beyond those who are just you know around us that, that we can hang out with or work with and the idea of the new evangelization using new media to, to reach out to people. And I think podcasts had, uh, you know, in radio, it, it seems like audio, visual, print media, it kind of, they all go through these cycles and they 
come back around. And so I think, you know, as podcasts kind of came back to the fore, it was an idea of how to, how can we as Daughters of Charity reach out and then draw in other voices and, and interviews and, and perspectives. And I think for, for Sister and I, I mean, I can only speak for myself. We've been friends for many years and, and she was my vocation director. We can, you know, talk a little <laughs> bit more about that aspect, but we've always had a lot of fun as sisters and community friends. And I think that's because both of us and, and I think many Daughters of Charity can say like, we have the same spirit. You know, you, when you meet, like sometimes professionals, like when doctors meet another doctor, they're like, oh, let's talk business or let's <laughs> talk shop. And I think when you meet someone who has that same spirit as you do, there's always a rapport and a connection. And so, you know, we've always had that and had a good time. And so I think anyone who listens to the podcast gets a window to our own friendship, but but more importantly, our own passion for, for the mission that we have um, to serve God's people. I was going to say that one of the things I think find kind of funny, too, is that when we when this is just a, a little technical part, when we come together to do our intros, we've already done our our interviews separately. And so we come together usually frantically right before the episode is coming out. Uh, we'll get together on Zoom and, and record the intro and it almost never fails. So we just start talking, hey, how are you? How are things going? And we get into a conversation and one of us will say, we should be recording this, you know, because it's like we're just engaged in this big conversation. And I think you're right. I'm really glad that you find the humor. Not everybody does, but our joy is, yeah, it's out there. And I think that is a part of what we enjoy about it. We couldn't, I don't think we could do it if we couldn't laugh. I'm not sure why we would do it. Yeah, yeah. The people that don't get it, you know, you can't help them. But what I think is the value added, besides you guys having a good time with each other, which, by the way, I think you're entitled to, in my humble opinion. But other than that, I think you're also showing people who are listening that, you know, you're not what they think you are. You know, this stereotype of uh, sisters and nuns or deacons or church people, you know, and I mean, that's something that you're counteracting with, well, these people seem happy and they seem like regular people. And gee, I could talk to them. And, you know, I just think that you're undoing a lot of damage with that, that intro that the church has to undo, quite frankly, if evangelization is going to go forward. Because we're, you know, you just got to look at the portrayals of religious people in media to realize where, where people see us. And, and it's, we know it's not true, but, you know, your light's under a bushel basket. So, I thought that was one of the strongest points. I love it when, you know, just the, the chat and, and I'm not a sister. I'm not, I don't know the inside baseball, but I recognize two friends and two people that are happy and passionate and, and, and love the poor and love the Lord. And, and I just, I can tap into that. So may I ask you a question about a separate and apart from the podcast, your, your charity work. Can you tell us a little bit about the things you're doing? At one point in my life, I worked with Catholic Charities in, in New Jersey. So I know what Catholic Charities does in terms of the, the homeless and, and people. We had a psychiatric hospital at one point, and I you know, helped out there. I used to do communion services on Sunday mornings. But that's not the basis of my work with Catholic Charities. But I know a little bit about charitable work. But tell us what, what you all do, please. I would just say... One hallmark of our community is that idea of finding the least. And, and we have a phrase that, that says, no, no type of suffering would be foreign to us. And so we have sisters that do any kind of work to help those in need. You might, you might think of the big kind of like teaching and healthcare and social work as sort of the standard, I, what you might think of when you think of a sister but we have sisters in parishes. We have sisters that work with immigrants. We have sisters who have, you know, high level PhD degrees. We have sisters that have very little education that are doing different things. And so really it's a mutual discernment on the community's part and on the sister's part to, to see what are competencies, what are her skills and gifts and, and where can we put them to use or where are the needs? Because you know, gone are the days where you just work in the parish or you just work at one school or what have you. We, we might have a house of five with five very different ministries mm -hmm. and different locations and, and all of that. And so 
I like to think of the community, the company as like the church. We have tons of different personalities. We have tons of different professional abilities and interests. And I think that part of obedience is the listening aspect where the community is listening to the needs around and and we're all trying to to find out hey, where is God meet me? Where does the community need me? And and we go from there. And so I think that's very reflective in the different ministries that we have. Sister Elizabeth, you're down in I think you said Brownsville, Texas. Yeah, that's me. On the border. Yes. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I got you, I got your <laughs> sister Liz is in Brownsville. Yes. On on the border. Yes. Are you involved in any of the border issues that you know we read about in the paper? terms of the people co- trying to come across? Uh, is there a wall built where you are? We have a wall. There's no question. And, and we are very close to the port and to the, the port of entry here. So, but our, our work is actually with the people that have settled down here, many of whom are undocumented immigrants. But Catholic Charities really takes the lead on the refugee center, which helps those who are newly coming over the border to where they're going to go for their host family and wait for their court dates for asylum petitions. And so we don't do that aspect because there's a lot of different other places that do. We focus more on the long-term sustainable change, healthcare access, education around diabetes, which is a big, big issue down here. Over a third of our population is diagnosed with diabetes and even more either on the cusp of or don't know that they have diabetes. So things like citizenship classes and part of what's close to my heart is the social service aspect of, of counseling and support groups and our after-school program. So I'll jump in. Sister Liz, I looked over some of the information you had and, and I see that what is it, every year you go through, or every couple of years you go through and you come up with your key issues that you're going to address and become the focal point out of all the ministerial activities uh, that this year you had to care of the earth, uh, again, the encyclical of Pope Francis. You had homelessness and immigration, racism, trafficking. So I looked together, having spent my time in the business world, we used to do all this planning and it was all complex and everybody got bent out of shape and uh, had to do these tremendous reports. But when I looked at the sub entries you make on that, there were simple ideas of what your mission is. It was education, awareness, identifying root causes of the problems, things that I just looked at and said, well, you make this so simple in a way. Why aren't we getting it as people of faith? I mean, there's no, you know, the part of scripture that says God didn't put it so far away that he can't be found, right? These are nuts and bolts things that we can see when we turn on the news and we see these problems, the horrific problems that went on across the border where kids are taken away from their families, right? How do we not go crazy over that? And how do you guys make it so that, again, like Dennis said, you bring joy into dealing with this kind of evil in our world. And there's no other world word for it, the homelessness. I mean, I spent my life in finance, so I just watched, you know, $20 trillion vaporize as the market melted down. Can you imagine the good we could have done with $20 trillion? Do you think we could have solved the problem here or there? And yet it went to nothing, this whole idea that our priorities are wrong, but they're available for people in the pew and we don't seem to be getting the message to them. I'm just wondering how you see it from your perspective, dealing with the young people that might be coming to you or that are socially conscious and aware of these things, how you're addressing their ability to affect their environment one person at a time. Yeah, I think that, you know, these, I think that you're referring to like our corporate stances. We have six specific corporate stances, which are just public statements where we talk about our issues around homelessness, issues around racism, uh, hunger, immigration, all of these issues, I think for us, we don't see them as separate issues in many ways. And although they have to be dealt with in sometimes separate ways, immigration is not homelessness. And yet there are immigrants who are homeless, right? Hunger is an issue that everybody suffers. If you're coming over the border, if you're a homeless person, if you're suffering racism or systemic racism and your community is a food desert, Hunger is an issue. Trafficking is an issue on the border among the homeless, again, in in areas of poverty. So for us, it's a way of saying if there's a particular area, I think that we could we can say to people who who want to volunteer with us, let's say, or, or, you know, people in the parish who say, well, what are the sisters doing? 
a lot of times they have one thing they want to get involved with. They saw a homeless person on the street. They want to make up a, a, a little baggy packet with all the stuff they've seen other people do. And they say, how do I go about doing that? And our hope, I think, is that we can continue to kind of witness to the idea that poverty is all around us, right? And this isn't a political issue. This is a human issue that everyone you meet has the potential of experiencing hunger, right? Everyone you meet has at some point, they could lose a job, they could get sick. So these are not issues that are just for those people, right? These are all issues that are for all of us to deal with. So my hope is that as we are out in the community, that our voice is one that says we are human beings loved by God. We are born in his image and likeness. And if you think about the life of Jesus Christ, he was hungry. He didn't have any place to lay his head. He was an immigrant, right? He was a refugee who had to flee violence. Everything about the God we follow is also represented in the people that we serve. And so I think if we keep pulling it back to that image, saying the Jesus who died on the cross for us died because of the death penalty, right? So if, if this is an issue, right? People would have stormed Mary, um, you know, had Joseph not protected her. This is about family and about protection of children. All of the story has to do with those kind of images. And when we see them around us and we say that the hunger that we see around us is the hunger that Jesus felt, not just physically, but the hunger for righteousness and justice, you know, that Mary saw in her own life the struggle of bringing a child into the world under questionable situations, right? She knows what that means. And so for me, it, I think for all of us, it's bringing that reality to people and helping them to see that we're not asking them to step over some big line of decision here. This is about touching the face of Christ. This is about delving into the life of Christ as it's lived out today in 2022. Might look a little different, but it's still those same issues. Not that quite answers all of your question. No, it's interesting. Back in the late 70s, we in Connecticut, we opened up a soup kitchen just at the time, St. Vincent de Paul. He was our, our model for that, and it's still going strong. But I remember back then sitting around as we were planning this saying, you know, let's do our part. We could maybe put an end to hunger, delusional young people that we were back then. But it's going on. It's very successful. It's done so much more in bringing parishes and individuals into a faith when they recognize and they come and serve at the soup kitchen. It's a, quite an experience. It was that time of deinstitutionalization when we were closing our state mental hospitals. So it was a real difficult period of time, and the money never showed up for local treatment that was supposed to replace the institutional mindset that and so we ended up building prisons and you had your uh, CO was taking care of mentally ill people. It's still, it's still the case. So, but it's just, it's just hard to measure progress, if anything, other than one-on-one. So uh, I, like Dennis had some time as a prison chaplain and, and that's where you find it. You find it in relationship, even with people there. That was the best time I had. I was a, I was a banker. I was uh, worked for the treasury department. I had more fun with the mentally ill and the people in the soup kitchen than I could ever imagine. I mean, they there's something about that work that just brings a part of our interior to life, our, our soul to life and animates it. It's, it's, it's good stuff. More fun than with um, bankers, you're saying? Come on. Yeah, come on, I never bankers, played golf. Come on. I think you that must... was my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm left-handed. Everything I went, in, right, hit, went right. into the woods. And of course, I, I couldn't even be a good caddy. And, of course, the great thing about going to the soup kitchens is, you know, when when you're prison chaplains like Tom and I, you know, they, they know who you are. You are. It's the same people. You know, these, these problems may be connected. I'm just, I mean, I'm no expert. I'm just saying they all seem to know who I am, whether I'm at the prison or if I go into the soup kitchen or whatever, it's, it's quite fascinating. But they are, it is a, they are a good hang compared to bankers and lawyers. Fun people. Fun people. Especially That's what it's all about. <laughs> Especially the lawyers. When, when you draw a 10-year sentence, you got to be able to take a joke if, or if, if it's white-collar oh, crime. Yeah. You know, I wanted to pick up on, on something you mentioned, you can, Tom, because it's, it's hard in the kind of work we do to still have that joy and hope because of the great immensity of these systems. And, and it's, for me, I think in, in, the, in God's economy, you know, as we are a part of the body of Christ, we know that we're not alone in this. And I think we get a sense of that in our community because we are international, because we have sisters in you know, over 90 countries, 
And we have sisters that work at the UN and help raise awareness on that scale of things that are happening on the ground in, in so many places in the world. And you can kind of get discouraged because of all these things. But I always go back to something St. Vincent Paul said, which was 10 times a day you go out to, to work and 10 times a day you're going to meet Christ there. And so it kind of helps me not to feel overwhelmed by it all because there's always that like Jesus is going to come and sit in my office, you know, like he's going to be here on my Zoom when I'm, you know, doing counseling on a Zoom call. He's, he's going to be meeting me at the door asking for something. And I have to say, okay, well, it might be the end of the day. You know what? I got to take care of this person. And I, we're all doing our, our little part. And, and the key is that, that we keep building relationships and communicate with each other so that those who are in places of influence can understand what's happening on the ground. And, and so we can have those networks and communication for greater change, which is so much needed in the world today, especially in the United States with the challenges that we face. Indeed. I've got to ask a question. We're, uh, I think the uh, Daughters of Charity are in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Right? Does that sound familiar to you? St. Vincent's uh, Hospital? Isn't that where you were born? That's where I was born. But I, uh, as I that's looked the Daughters of Charity Hospital. Yeah, I looked over the uh, some of the, your documents. You go back to the, when you had the bonnets, the uh, core. Uh, yeah. Coronets. Coronets. A coronet. And um, I can't help but think of... Yeah, the listeners, should, the listeners should know these are the flying nuns. The flying nuns. Yeah. <laughs> on TV when What's you the, were a kid. The same community. Yeah, there was the a same yeah. community. They just lost the hat. But yeah. I remember my parents talking, going at the time, Pembroke Avenue in Bridgeport, where there was a house for Daughters of Charity, and going by there and seeing some of the sisters, and this is going way back, and my, both my mother and father saying a prayer, thank God for them, for when my grandfather was ill that they were taking care of him, apparently. So it's just a flashback. You know how these things come back as you see a picture on a good day when I, I remember anything? But it it just it, it gives that personal touch of longevity to the good works that are being done day in and day out. We look at the news and we think the world, and many people do believe it's the end of, end of the world. Well, I don't want to take the good Lord, you know, short, cut off the next 100 billion years as we look at this web telescope, you know? of what the creation is all about. But it's a sense of hopelessness, I think, that is prevailing where people don't believe that they can make a difference in the world. And that's the biggest, I think that's the, the evil part of Satan, the big lie that I don't matter, I can't do anything. And you know, all you really have to do to start feeling good is bring bring a couple of cans of soup to the to church, drop them in the bucket and just start, you know, put put your finger in the, the, the your thumb in the dike. And uh, do what you can and let the Holy Spirit... Or get, or get your parish to have, have a, bucket a bucket for you to drop uh, yeah. in. That, that <laughs> would be right. the first yeah. step, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're that, right. That's where the resistance is often met. It's like, oh, you want to clutter that's up our right. hallway? I ran into the, that. Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, 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 Jesus can feed me when I come here, but I can't feed Jesus. Is that what you're saying, Father? <laughs> No, that's an actual discussion I had at my yeah, I know, time, so. I know. It's, oh, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> we deal with a lot of, a lot uh, of, a lot of walls, a lot of mental. We have met the enemy, and he is us. But <laughs> indifference, hopelessness, and I think Vincent de Paul was very much. He he thrived on hope. I can't do this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's all we we are to be is is to be instruments. But if we're not hooked in, if we're not connected to that or responded to a call, then we fall victim to this negativity that's out there. And it's, it's brutal. It's too bad. So let me make a connection between what you're saying, Tom, and what Sister Liz was eloquently saying and ask either of the sisters who wants to chime in, probably the formation director here, uh, Sister Elizabeth, from what I've heard <laughs> on the podcast, you are the go-to gal on this one. But I think your student sister, Liz, was just channeling some apostolic reflection there for a minute. Oh. And, of course, I'm an old enough bunny to remember when that first came out. And I thought it went the way of the buffalo real quick. And then I come to find out that, wow, this is a, a hallmark of what you, you ladies do in your spiritual life. And I think that that's what was coming out with the, well, gee, it's the end of the day, but I'm going to meet Jesus at the door or whatever. So maybe could you just share with the listeners a little bit about what apostolic reflection is and how it how it feeds the hope that Deacon Tom was just talking about that you guys are showing here today? Sure. So apostolic reflection is just how it sounds. It's a reflection on your day, really as an apostle, 
right? We're out there doing the work of the apostles. It is the apostolic work that we do. And um, I think that probably the best way to describe it is when we are together saying, how did Jesus show up today, right? And knowing that every moment that Jesus shows is a gospel moment, right? That the gospel is still living each and every day in the way that in which Jesus shows up either at the door of Sister Liz's office or at the front door of a soup kitchen or at a domestic violence shelter or just in a parish walks in the door. So apostolic reflection is a process. Uh, really, it's, a, it's like Lex, a Lexio Divina type process where you take the time to really reflect on an event. Maybe it's a shared event, like we could do an apostolic reflection on this dialogue, this conversation that we're having. How did Jesus show up in this episode of the podcast, right? How did that happen? What was the gospel moment? What was that point at which we all felt that Jesus was present? Or it's my own personal reflection. It's coming within the community and it's a dialogue among our sisters, right? So each sister is sharing. You know, I I really found Jesus showed up today in this way. I was just profoundly touched by an experience I had with a person who walked in and I knew that Jesus was present there. We, it, it doesn't make sense for us to do what we do if we don't think Jesus is going to show up. And so part of that reflection is, is a daily examine, really, I think personally, but also communally. So I, that's another piece, I think, of our community that's really important is that we've preserved many of those communal activities that give us opportunities to talk about the way in which our work is impacting us, how we feel our work is impacting others, others who have joined us in our work. All of that is part of that apostolic reflection. And it gives us an opportunity to say, how does what we do live out those gospel moments when Jesus is showing up in the people that we're serving? Uh, and we have an opportunity to touch him as physically and as present as he is in the Eucharist, as he is in the Word of of God, that Jesus shows up, God shows up in all those places. And so it, it's paramount to us. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't know how to not do it. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we're together. It's like this one big old apostolic reflection fest. We're like, oh, this happened, that happened. It's just a part of who we are. It must cause a lot of hope, though, is what, I, what it strikes me to overcome these things that Deacon Tom was talking about a minute ago. Yeah, I think it does. It does bring us hope that that not just that what we think is happening is really happening, you know, but that we can make an impact. The people who are volunteering with us can make an impact in the lives of people who are suffering. I, I worked in a and helped to start a, a soup kitchen, although it really became a homeless day center in Macon, Georgia. And I remember thinking the most complimentary thing someone could have said about their service there was she said, you know, I get all that Jesus is here stuff, she said. But one of the things that I began to realize was I can't figure out some days who are the volunteers and who are the participants because we're all just here together. We all just look like one big family. And for me, that is the body of Christ. You know, I said to her, if you're feeling like you can't tell in us and them, then we have entered the place of the body of Christ. We are all here living that out. And so that's the hope. You know, I think that you can bring to someone that she's going to carry that home. There's no way that that has not that experience of looking out into a group of people, 50 homeless people and five volunteers and saying, I'm not sure mm-hmm. who. That to me is a sign that, that God has opened her eyes to a, to a spiritual experience that will change her. And she'll carry that on like the apostles. She'll go and tell somebody else about that. And they then will have the hope and the courage, really. It takes some courage to enter into these kind of ministries. You have to have faith that, one, you'll be able to do something, and two, you'll have impact in the life of another. But also, I think that what we try to do is to tell people, you, you will have impact in their life, but trust me, they will impact yours. This is a mutual experience. You're not just here to do for them. You know, they, they are going to be powerfully impactful in your life as well, because that's how Jesus is. And it's what safe as the Paul, I believe, was the one who said, we must love the poor very much if they're to forgive us for the bread we give them. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that him? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and you have a couple of uh, podcasts where you, you get into how to do apostolic reflection, which 
you know, I think you should do a lot more of and get that spread throughout the church. I'm so happy to see you doing that. I think, Sister Elizabeth, you you said if we were to do it with regard to this discussion, we'd be looking for that moment when Christ appeared. And I don't want to just flatter you, but I think he just did in, your, in what you just said to us. I mean, that was so uplifting. And so, you know, Tom, you took us way down, like, <laughs> you know, what we... we you know, no, we can't, we can't fix this. And then, and then Sister Elizabeth just showed us how we can. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, it's a homily. Then they're supposed to bring, be brought back up with hope. <laughs> Thank you for counteracting Tom, Sister. We, we would like you to be a regular <laughs> on the broadcast here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Tom, you're, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. You, you, yeah. you. Threw a bunch we of stuff on it. the road, and Sister Elizabeth swept it up. That's how I had my heart surgically removed <laughs> in the banking world. See, it's, yeah, were there skid marks is the question there. <laughs> right there with that skunk. Sisters, we do this little dog and pony show here. We, we, we're trying to reach our target audience, is trying to reach people on the threshold of the church, sort of the, you know, more on the spiritual works of mercy side than the corporal. You guys do the corporal. We do the, the spiritual here a little bit more. And... Um, we're trying to reach people who, you know, are on that threshold and either thinking of coming in or thinking of getting out. And we'd like to like to ask you, what, what if anything, would either of you say to, to the people, because I know you're meeting them, coming and going both ways in your ministry, what kind of advice would you give people about, about that? That's a deep, deep question. And I, I think mo- what most people are trying to figure out in their life is, are they loved? Do they have a purpose? And my my answer to both of those questions is an overwhelming yes to both of those things. I think we're missing, we're having a crisis of meaning in this world. And, and the fact that people maybe don't think that their life matters. And I, I just, if there's any homily that should be given ever and always, it should be that that God is madly and deeply in love with with each and every one of us, goofy in love, as I've heard before, that it's it's something that we can never tire of talking about. And then and then also that that we're not just made to to have be loved, that we that we have to be loving and love others. And that what we do really, really matters. And so, you know, how people do that, what they do with that information makes a difference and has eternal consequences for good or for, or for bad. And so for anyone who is, is struggling and, and doesn't know what to do, give us a call. <laughs> Reach out. <laughs> Find someone who seems like they know what they're talking about and, and share your heart because how else are you going to be able to find the answer to the question but to, to open your heart and safety to, to someone who might have a little more wisdom than you. Um, and, and that's what I try to do. I always try to find people who are smarter than me, bullier than me, have more wisdom than me so that I can just kind of soak it all up and, and, and hopefully do some good with it. Yeah, I think, you know, as you were, as you were talking, I think one of the things is as we were saying before, there's a sense of joyfulness. And I think when people, when I talk to people and they say to me, how, how can you stay in this church that has done all these horrible things? And how can you do all these hard, you know, be part of this? And I, I say to them, you know, at some point we have to put those things aside and believe that no matter who is at the altar and who I'm sitting beside, Jesus Christ shows up in the Eucharist and wants to feed us. We've come to a place in the world where meaning is gone. We're hungry. We are starving uh, for something good in the world. And I think as long as I can with confidence say that I've found that goodness, you know, just that same way of saying, if you can, if you can have a moment when you feel like Jesus Christ or something good is present, then that's the end that we have. If someone can come to a soup kitchen or do something, you know, with the poor and feel that poverty, the window has cracked open for us to enter in and begin to, to help somebody see that that's the moment when the Spirit is trying to speak to them uh, and that it can be a place of great joy, even in the midst of the suffering of others, that there's intense beauty uh, in the people that we serve and the people that we spend our days with. Uh, and I, you know, have said, as Sister Liz alluded to, 
I just think God is absolutely goofy in love with us. And sometimes that goofy God just tries to catch us in times when we're smiling or laughing and that those are the ends. And if we're not there, if we're not present in the life of the church to be there to crack that window open wider, then the church is doomed. We've got to be present and we have got to be willing to step in at any moment. Even if, the, even if somebody shuts the window back, we can be there again. And you and I, as high school, former high school teacher sister, we, we recognize that demand for absolute perfection before you get my participation as the sign of a sophomore. That's right. That's, That's a 14-year-old. Right. It's like, how can you stay in this church? And I'm always thinking, can I talk to your wife? You know, I mean, like, like, how can you, you know, how can you be, how can you stay in America? Yeah. I mean, where is this perfect place? I want to go there. What do you know that I don't know? It's like, mm-hmm. it's all broken. Mm-hmm. Right, Deacon yeah. Tom? Tom's famous. I've heard that said. Tom's uh, famous saying. I don't buy into it. (laughs) That's Tom's, that's Tom's mantra. Broken. That's the inside joke. So uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Anything else, sisters? We're going to have to wrap this up. The boss is uh, getting nervous here. Would you like to say anything else before we go? Anything we? Just that, just that we are truly honored and grateful to, to have spent this time with you guys. And um, it's a gift and it's nice to, to hang out and talk shop and and to um, support each other in the podcast world. What a gift. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. think you guys laugh probably more than we do. We're going to have to pick up our game a little yeah. bit. We need a laugh track. <laughs> I, I recommend it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's how that's you sell it. it. But, you know, hey, I want to thank you, Sister Elizabeth and Sister Liz from the Daughters of Charity who do the podcast in the company of charity, which is available wherever you get your podcast. The Deacons pod highly recommends this. It's our first pod recommendation. There will be more, but we think it's great. And these ladies are the real deal. They not only make us look good, but they are the answer to the question of how can you stay in this church from me right here? Sister Liz and Sister Elizabeth, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulus Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacon's, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And, of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is Deacon's Pod, again with an S, Deacon's at Paulist.org. That's P A U L I S T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.